My guest today is a firefighter. Please welcome Ken Dockery. Ken, how's it going? Man, it's going good, man. Life is good. Can't complain too much, bro. All right. Good to hear. Hey, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate it, man. Uh, no problem, man. Thanks for the invite. All what right. Mind helping? Cool. So let's get right into it. What do you do? I am a paid fireman. I work in the city of Victoria for the Victoria Fire Department. Been there about five, five and a half years, approximately. And then I actually work part-time in Brookshire as a Duke fireman. Okay. So been there for about five and a half years. Let's go back to that. How did it all start? What made you decide to be a, a fireman and how'd you get into it? Because I know it's competitive. A lot of people try to get in there. Some you have to be it's very competitive, man. Yeah. It is. It's very competitive, man. The way that I got in actually was just by conversation, bro. Mm. One of my boys, you probably know him too. He went to Clown Forge. His name is Steve Rector. Okay. One day he shows up. We were hooping at the gym in this basketball league, man. And uh, he came in with his HFD jacket on. And I just thought that was just like the coolest <laughs> jacket I've ever seen, bro. And I was like, dang, I want one of them joints too. Like, honestly, that, that's like one of the first things I even said. Like, I want one of those. And he started telling me about it. And I was like, man, that sounds real interesting. So he was like, yeah, man, sign up. You're still young. We're still young. It's not too late for you to sign up because I think the age limit for uh, HFD at the time was like 35, 37 or something around that age. I think it was like 35. I know it was 37 because at the time I think I was like 33, 32, 33, something around that number. And I actually applied with HFD back then a couple few years ago when I was like 32, 33. And I was supposed to go to go take the test. And I canceled it because I had a trip planned for New Orleans. Mm. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just go another day. I had no clue as to how the process even worked whatsoever. And I just kind of like blew it off. So then I ran into another guy. His name was Rodney Hudson. I was working at North Stockers Medical School at the time, like a receptionist, bro. I hated that job. I absolutely hated it. And he said he was a fireman. He was studying to take his EMT test, emergency medical technician. And he was getting back into the into the fire service again because he had left it for a while, too. And he got to talking about it. And I'm reading his books and he tell me stories. And I just got infatuated with the whole conversation about, like, how the whole process works, man. And I was like, man, I want a part of this. Mm. So he ends up getting hired back on. And he leaves. And then I'm there. So then an uh, opportunity came up to sign up at Lone Star Community College of Barker Cypress. And I was like, I went in. So then... And I went to ask some questions about it by joining. Then they became like a money issue. I didn't have enough money at the time, too. So I was like, dang, I guess I'll wait till another another course opens. So then I was like, where there was a will, there's a way. I was like, I shut myself down the first time. I'm not trying to shut my down the second time. So opportunity came for me to even get like financial aid because I didn't even think I would even get that. I didn't even think they would even pay for that just for going to school for like eight or nine months. And they did. And it's been on and ripping since then, man. Nice. I had a couple obstacles along the process, along the way. But I just kind of just stuck with it, man. This is what I really wanted to do. Because I can honestly say, bro, I had no direction for what it is that I wanted to do. Because right. when I was younger, it was just like, go to school, get a job, and then, then you just go from there. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. I just knew that I always enjoyed like helping people. people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, like most people. I just knew I just like helping people. 
I yeah. didn't know what form or fashion. So this is perfect. You, you have that desire to help others. And this ended up being a passion for you after learning more and more about it. And you went out and grabbed it. That's awesome. Now, yeah, man. it's all about seizing the moment, man. Right. Yep, exactly. And so now, so you went to school for eight, I think you said eight or nine months. Now, is this for getting EMT certified and your paramedic license? Do you need that as well? Uh, uh, initially for a firefighter, you gotta get your firefighter cert. Okay. And then along with that, the second semester includes the emergency medical technician, which is the EMT basic. I actually did them all conjoining. They did them like back to back. One oh, first semester okay. and the second semester. So it was like a year of school almost. Actually, once I, I graduated from that cert, I didn't start working out right immediately. I got sidetracked, had a family, got married at the time, and I just started working. I was working in a hospital. I just continued to work in a hospital because I was working in a hospital at North Cyprus mm-hmm. and going to school at the same time. So I ended up getting married during that process, and it immediately became like, I need to start making some money because I'm married now. You know, I have right. responsibilities. So I did it for like two or three years after I was done with school. So my journey took me a little time. It actually took me a little time, man. It was a lot on my part and a lot of time was just like procrastinating. Mm. But during that time, I left North Cyprus Hospital and I ended up working for this company called Centos. And I worked there for about six months and it was just some of the nastiest things that I just saw as mm. far as like, because uh, really it's like a uniform company. So you pick up dirty uniforms and towels and rugs and you replace them with like fresh ones. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, bro, this was like my changing point. I was working in the Centos company and I went to go pick up some towels from this restaurant in this kitchen. All of these roaches came out of oh, these, this pile of towels I was picking up and I was like, I'm done. I was like, I hate this. <laughs> and that was it. I was done. Then I got back in the hustle of getting back to becoming a fireman. Mm. I got a call, a random call for one of my instructors when I was in the fire academy. The question he asked was like, hey, do you miss it? And I already knew what he was talking about. Yeah. And he was like, hey, did you miss the fire service and all that? And I was like, yeah, I honestly do. I had fun. It was hard work, but it was fun when I was in the academy. And he was like, give me six months of your time and your dedication. And he said, I guarantee you, I'll have you getting a job within that six-month period. And I was just telling some other guy this the other day, six months on the dot, man, it was done. Mm. I was already working for a fire department. I got hired on with Victoria. So I'm That's forever thankful for him. He not even call me. God just works in mysterious ways, man. Yeah. He just does what he does. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful just for what he even did for me, man. So I'm very appreciative of him. Chief Hunter, look, man, I appreciate him, man. I appreciate him <laughs> so much. Well, no, that's great. And I do believe that. And I think that's a great sign that was there for you, that this is what you need to do. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Now, can you talk a little bit about the training and what that entailed and what you had to go through? The training it pretty much entails a lot of physical training. There's a lot of running, a lot of conditioning. You have to get accustomed to being in tight positions, working in smoky environment. It's really a lot of mental. You have to have a strong mental for it because even a couple of guys I was in the fire academy with, they quit because it was just, just too much of being enclosed. Right. They couldn't take they couldn't take it. Just being in confined spaces and being in, in hot environments. And you got to carry a lot of weight on your shoulders, man. I think the air packs that we wear and the gear is, is roughly around like 70 pounds. So you have to, wow. first off, you got to even learn how to put it on. Because I had never done anything close to that. A lot of guys volunteer before they even get into this service, man, working like duty crews and things like that. I had never volunteered. I didn't know anything about a fire engine. I used to, I remember when I was in a fire academy, I used to put my helmet on backwards all the time because I didn't know the proper way to prepare. They used to laugh at me all the time, man. But, you know, after a while, you get better. Right, right. You get better. <laughs> now, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of, 
lot of physical training, mental training. Mm. Okay. So, so the public thinks they know about what a firefighter does just based on what they see, whether they see outside in the public or on TV, but what are some misconceptions or what are some things that really the public does not know or some things that even surprised you when you got into it? You know, one of the biggest things that I can honestly say is that, no, we don't just go get cats out of trees, man. <laughs> that, that's that's movie-ish. That's so stereotypical. It's a facade, man. That's not just what we do. It, honestly, in my career, I think I've done that one time <laughs> in my five and a half, six-year career to where we've actually gotten a cat off a tree and helped them down. It's just That's called PR work, and we don't just... We don't do that. We don't just sit around and do nothing all day. We do train, man. We do a lot of training. Because when you train, you keep yourself sharp. And when you're sharp, you're able to perform well when you're out in the field. So when things go south, you're able to adapt to those situations. There's two differences. I mean, there's there's the medical side, and then there's the fire side. There's a lot of departments where they just hire just strictly firemen. My part-time job is uh, in Brookshire. We do... It's mainly fire, but we do run medical calls, too. Sometimes we're first in due on a medical call, so then we have to treat the patient until the medical unit gets there. On the EMS side, man, there's a lot of calls. There's a lot of things they tell you when you're in the academy that you can't even predict, man. I've, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot that the average person can't even, even mentally endure. Some of the things that I've seen, man, honestly, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. People call us at their lowest moments, and we have to be mentally prepared no matter what time of day. Sometimes we get woken up in the middle of the night for someone going through a cardiac arrest. So and you have to be on point. You have, you have to be on point. It's almost like you're doing God's work, to be honest. You'd really like to save everyone, but the reality is that you don't. Yeah. You, re you really don't. But when you do get that one that you can save, it changes you in so many ways, on so many levels. It just it changes you. It's like having the birth of a child, man. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the best feelings in the world, bro. That's, that's how I describe it. Wow. And then when you have something bad happens, it shakes you up mentally, man. People don't understand that, I'll be honest, mental health isn't really addressed a lot in the fire service. I don't think it's addressed enough because of the things that you see, the things that you do. You know, I've been in some bad spots. I've endured some things that I probably haven't even told a lot of people, like mentally. Yeah. But I just find ways to cope and deal with it. A lot of my homeboys, they don't want to hear about some of the things that I see or some of the things that I do. Yeah. They, they don't want to hear about it. I've tried telling them a couple of times, you know, like, man, guess what I saw today? And they'd be like, hey, man, we don't want to hear your stories like that. Right. Um, so I, luckily I have family. I have family that I could talk to about some of those things. So it helps a lot. Uh, you ever think about talking to a professional about some of this stuff instead of kind of keeping it in? I know you're talking to family, but I don't know how frequently you're seeing some of these things, but does it make sense to talk to a professional? I think it does make sense to talk to a professional. Now, do I personally think I need to speak to a professional right now? I'm going to be a man and say no. I don't. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say no because I feel like I think I do a good job of separating this is work and this. And then when I go home, that's it. it. off? Okay. Yeah. But I've had a, we've had a couple calls since I've been here where they've actually had someone come in and speak to us about it, try to oh. talk to us collectively as a, in the, like in a counseling session. That's good. And it, yes, it was great, but I think the best therapy is when we, us men, talk to each other mm. versus an outsider because we feel like we can relate to ourselves and our experiences and what we endure and, and the things that we see on our own because we were there. So 
I think where I work at in Victoria, we do a good job of policing ourselves, man, honestly, because we had a real bad call. I don't want to go into too much specific details about it to where it literally, I couldn't sleep. Mm. A lot of guys couldn't sleep after we went on a certain call, man. And it was good because a lot of guys were calling each other. We were checking up on each other to see how everyone was doing. So, hey, man, I know you were first in on this right here. Like, are you good? I just want to check up on you. And and we would just talk about it, man. It, guys separately would just talk about it. And it helped a lot, man. It really did help a lot, man. It helped everybody get through that situation. And we we remain tight, man. I think we have a, it's good. a pretty close group there where I work at. Yeah, we don't always get along, but we we're right. pretty close. Uh-huh. Now, the certain call that you talked about where, where you can't talk about it and other incidents where you say you, you saved someone and how it changes you and others where you might not have been able to save people. Mm-hmm. When you're going into these incidents, can you talk about just how that feels, like what goes through your body? Oh, sure. It's pure anxiety. Mm. Pure anxiety every time. It's a rush, but it's anxiety at the same time, man. Mm. Yeah. Anytime call that drops out where they say cardiac arrest, He's like your automatic egg show, but at the same time, you was like, do your job. That's right. what I'm constantly telling myself. Do your job. Do what you're trained to do. You know, you just have to prepare for the worst every time. Yeah. That's wow. how every call. I prepare for the worst every time. I hope for the best. Mm. When it's a fire mm. call, man, it's it's pure anxiety until it's anxiety from the time that call drops and I hear those tones because so you know specifically which ones is which. Yeah. The time we, I actually get on scene and I step off that engine. Yeah. That's when I'm more relaxed. But that entire time we're driving up, I always text my family when I'm going. Just to give them a heads up. Like if I'm going to a fire, I always give them a heads up. Hey, I'm going to a house fire. Right. I just feel like I owe them that. My family is so supportive of what I do. I feel like I owe them to let them know. If I'm going to something bad like that, like a house fire, I, I feel like it's fair for me to let them know. Yeah. Because they're always somebody will always text me, like, hey, be careful. And that's all yeah. I need right there. That, that helps relax me along while I'm in route to this house fire if I have time. So that, that's all I need right there. That's awesome. So now you talk about getting onto the scene, stepping off that engine, getting that call, texting your family. Can you talk about the steps that happen whenever there is a fire call? One of the first things you want to do is, first off, you want to get your mind right. Mm-hmm. You always want to revert back to your training. At any moment, just revert back to what you've learned, what you've been yeah. taught, what you've been shown, what you've seen, things in the past. So when we first get there, the first thing you want to do is a scene size up. Mm-hmm. You, what a scene size up is is that you want to look at your overall spectrum. Like, what is it you see? Is it a house that's burning? You want to see where is it burning at? You want to walk the full perimeter. That's called doing a 360. You want to mm-hmm. do a 360 of the full perimeter. You also want to watch out for power lines, little things like that. You want to know, is there anyone inside the building? You want to know, is it heavy smoke? Is it light smoke? Or you want to know what type of building that you're even walking into. Those little things are just all small, minor details, but they're huge as an over spectrum of what you're about to go through. So you want to know what it is that you're about to get yourself into. So you want to know all your surroundings as much as possible. You want to make sure you cut the utilities. You want to know, is, is this a house that you can actually preserve? Because one of the main things that you want to do is us first, and then it's the, the people that you're dealing with. You want to save their property as well, too. But you got to realize, man, a lot of these people in these neighborhoods that we're going to, this is their all. This is all they have. Right, right. So if you can have an opportunity to save their homes, that's rewarding, man. Yeah. Because you don't know if these people have insurance or not. Everybody doesn't have home insurance. Right. You know? So you, you want to think about these people as individuals too, man. They're humans first, so you always want to try to look out for them. Another thing you want to look out is, is there any life threats? 
any life threats that could harm you. If, if it's an old abandoned home, nothing's there, life over property, always. You always want to save us before the property. If it's worth not saving, then we're just going to let it be. It's going to be called what we call a defensive fire. I mean, we're going to fight it from a distance. If it's a home that we have a chance at saving and preserving, we call that offensive. So we will probably go interior and try to find a hot spot. Mm-hmm. Go to the seat of the fire is what we call it, where it's particularly burning at in the, in the property. Yeah. And then try to put it out as fast as you can. So you want to work smart. You want to work efficient. You want to work fast. But overall, you want to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks. That was good. That was a good breakdown. All right. So yeah. so can you talk about, and you mentioned this a little bit, but can you talk about a typical day of yours, what that looks a like? A typical day for us, man, well, shift that we work is 4896. So basically what that means is that we work two days on and then you're off for four days. Okay. So you get those four days to relax and do whatever you want. But when I first get there, usually four coffee, a cup of coffee, man. You know, we have a conversation about the previous crew and what they did or, you know, anything missing on the trucks, how their shift went, things like that. Usually we have about five or ten minutes to do that. And then once seven o'clock hits, we're checking off our, our trucks. That's what we call our daily checkoffs. We want to make sure all the tools are there. We want to make sure all the equipment's there. You want to make sure all your equipment's working. When we check about equipment working, you want to make sure, like, if it's on the engine side, you want to make sure you have gas in all your equipment. The chainsaws, you want to make sure all the chainsaws start. Make sure there's no tools missing from the truck. And then you want to go inside. You want to check your cab. The cab is the inside of the truck. You want to make sure your bottle's working. Make sure there's no leaks in your, your O2 bottles because that's your life preserver right there, man. That's your lifeline. That bottle don't work and you can go inside the fire. I mean, you're done. You're screwed. You're no good to no one at that moment then, not even to yourself. So you want to make sure that your gear is appropriate and ready for work. Make sure that your, uh, your like I said, your O2 bottle's working. Full. Make sure it's full. Make sure there's no leaks. Make sure your, your pass alarm is working. Uh, and after that, we have daily chores once that's done. So checking up all trucks and the, the equipment and all that takes about 45 minutes to an hour. And then after that, you got uh, daily chores, station chores. Every day is different. So for us, for example, we used to cut grass on like Mondays. So we try to get that done early because in Texas it's hot, man. Yeah. So you want to knock it out early as possible. But if not, we don't cut grass anymore. We actually got to the point to where we can hire someone to do that for us. So that's been a blessing. But our morning chores is just like cleaning the station, you know, cleaning the bathrooms, uh, make sure it's nice and neat, presentable in case we have company come through, things of that nature. So we do that early in the morning, too. Then after that, we go through a process of, all right, what's on the menu today for activities? Anything scheduled in the calendar? Any training sessions? Is there any meetings that we got to go to at any time? Once we get to that part, we go through, all right, what are we doing for meals today? That's one of the most important questions of the day. Like, mm-hmm. what are we having dinner for these next two days? So usually usually the best cooks in the station do all the cooking okay. for us. They do all the shopping. So I actually cook pretty well, very fairly well, I think so. I haven't had any complaints about any of my cooking, so I guess I'm doing something right. Right. <laughs> so, We'll get a list together of like how we're going to do for meals for the next two days. And then whatever the day goes, however it goes, is this where it takes us. And we go from there. Mm. Okay. All right. And now skills, you mentioned being mentally prepared, the physicality of it, of course, your desire to help others. Also, I guess cooking as well. <laughs> no, no, can cooking you always helps, man. <laughs> it, 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 it you, cooking gets you a long way in the fire service. All right. <laughs> But what skills and characteristics would you say, though, are most important to be a successful firefighter? There's a lot of chiefs 
in the fire service, meaning like individuals, like alpha males, alpha females, you know. And you have to be a good Indian at the same time too, man. There's a Batman and a Robin. Everybody's got to play their role. You have to be a leader. You have to be receptive of criticism, and you have to be able to give criticism in a positive way. At the end of the day, the goal is always to go home back to your individual families. Right. We're a family at the station. Don't get it wrong. We're a family. We spend a lot of our time together. But outside of that station, man, we all have families that we want to go back home to. So you have to be mentally tough. I would say that's definitely a good skill to have. You have to really work on your craft. Physical conditioning is one. Education is a huge part of the fire service, too. You would think not, but it really is, man. Growth in the fire service is all about education, continuous education. Like even now, I'm back in school again. 41 years old, never thought I'd still be achieving my higher education at 41. But it's something that I want. It's something that I desire, and it's something that I'm, I'm going to pursue and continue to do until I achieve it. That's great. So my goal is to become a paramedic, too, man. That's I've taken the course once, and I passed it, but I took the national registry. That's a test that you have to take to get your certification. Mm -hmm. And I took it and I failed it. But I'm not going to let that deter me, so I'm taking the courses again. It's a long process, but it's, it's goals, man. It's all about goals. Well, I love that. I love that throughout this, you talk about your goals and your relentlessness that you're not going to let things stop you from what you want to do, especially you mentioned your changing point. And I guess since then, you've had that. You had your goals and you go out and you get them. And I love that. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. I have children, man. So I got to set the table. I got to yeah. set the ball, man. Yeah. I got to get let them know that dad didn't stop working either. So why should they? Persistence is key. Yep. Love it. All right. What do you love about what you do? Man, I don't even know where to start, man. It's everything. It's literally everything. When I was in college for a little bit, I was like, man, I wanted to join a fraternity. But then I told out you have monthly dues that you have to pay for those fraternities. And I was like, I feel like me doing that was like paying for friendship. Mm. And I was, that's how I looked at it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So when I joined the fire service, man, this is probably one of the best fraternities I've ever been a part of, man. It's, it was hard to get in. And then when I finally got in, it, it made it all worthwhile. I enjoy helping people. I grew up on that. My grandmother was a nurse, and she also worked for school boards. So she also used to cook for a school, too. So I guess that's where I get some of my cooking skills from. <laughs> but I enjoy helping people, man. I, I really do. It's not always about the money, even though it's, it's we appreciate it. It's always a goal, too. But it's more or less just a thank you. When you help somebody, man, and they just say thank you, it's rewarding. There's yeah. no price tag on that. I remember when I was younger, man, I had this lady that I was transporting and she called me every racist name in the book, every racist name in the book. And I'll never forget that. By the end of that transport, we were taking her to a nursing home and she was just like, please don't leave me. Please help me. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I have to leave you here. And she was like, thank you for everything. Thank you for being so nice to me. I just laughed and I was like, you're welcome. Just like that. I mean, that's. Thank you. I mean, that's all I needed. All right. Wow. Sometimes you got to turn that cheek, man. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes, man. You run into yeah. a lot of that, unfortunately. Yeah. Wow. Now, can you think about an incident like that that happened? Well, not like that, but one of those good incidents when you were going into a fire call where you saved someone. Can you talk about one of those incidents? Honestly, I've yet to been to fire where we actually pulled someone out. Okay. All the fires that I've been into, unfortunately, they were in the home still. Mm. Yeah. So All that's right. part of that that thing right there is why I say you can't save everyone even though you want to. Right. We tried. 
Honestly, yeah. I can tell you that we tried to get into the house, but the house was barricaded. They had things behind the, the front door. Yeah. And that's another public service announcement I'm going to give to everyone, too. Yeah. Stop putting things behind your front door when we're trying to get in. Because it makes it hard. We can't get in there. People, I see a lot of times when you go into these, um, these lower income yeah. neighborhoods. And I understand why they do it, too, because they normally have, like, break-ins in their home. It's unsafe. Right. So they want to put things behind their door. But when it's a fire, man, it, it, we can't get in. And we were trying to push that door open as hard as we could. And there was a lady that was, it was an elder lady. She was in a walker. And she and, and she was the one that actually called 911 at the time, too. And she wasn't able to get out. And I felt bad for her because by time by the time we actually found her, she was only a few steps away from the front door. Oh, uh, like literally a few steps from the front door. And, and when we finally got into the home, we looked behind the front door and it was, they had a couch behind there. They had books behind there too. And we was only a few steps away from her. We put, who knows? You could have had a chance of, of bringing her out safely. We don't know because, I mean, unfortunately she passed away. Yeah. Those are the things that, that you don't forget that actually just stick with you. Yeah. Things like that, having to deal with situations like that and dealing also with situations where people are putting things behind a door. Are there other challenges out there for you or obstacles out there for you being a firefighter or EMT? As far as challenges, is one of the main things I would say is a challenge is getting along with your crew. Mm. It's all about recognizing that we're not all going to think the same, man. All right. You know, we're just not, man. We're here to do a job. We're here to, to service the public. It's always about the public. People grow up differently as far as, as firemen, man. Sometimes we don't always see eye to eye. So that's, that's probably one of the biggest challenges, especially with, with all the things that's going on in the world right now. That's probably been the most challenging because mm. different upbringings. Yeah. yeah. Different understandings of, of life. I'm not going to say reality, but like different life experiences. This probably would be the best way I can put it. Things that you grew up around that I grew up around are totally different. So sometimes they may not understand certain conversations that's going on in the world. They don't understand like why it makes sense for people to be doing certain things. And sometimes it can create separation, but at the end of the day, we do have a job to do. So when it comes down to that job, we got to put that first. But that's probably one of the hardest things that I've probably had to endure while being in the fire service, man. Just yeah. different nationalities, different backgrounds growing up. Yeah. Especially in the Houston area. It's the most diverse city. Yeah, where I work at, it's it's, it's about two hours away. I work in the city of Victoria, so it's about a two-hour drive for me. Oh, okay. So it's out in the country. It's out in the country, so I'm a city boy, man. (laughs) I think think a lot differently than some of those guys do. Yeah. But as long as the respect is there, we can work together. That's all. I just need the respect. That's it. Okay. All right, and... Can you talk about one of your most memorable moments that you've had? Mm-hmm. Good or bad? Either one, good or bad. Man, the most fun that I have working at the fire station, honestly, is just the conversations that we have around the dinner table, man. Mm. Those are like some of the best. <laughs> Especially if we don't get any calls during dinner, we can sit down and we can talk and, and we can enjoy the meal that somebody cooked or whatnot, and we can just talk about whatever. And we can talk for hours. <laughs> Especially get around some of the old heads there, man. That's It's fun. I love hearing old stories. I love I love hearing some of the older guys talk, man, because they talk about how it used to be like back in the day when they first started or some of the funniest things that they've experienced on scene. And 
it's just great conversation sometimes, man. That's when nothing else matters. It just feel like you're just hanging out with your boys, man. It's just <laughs> like you're on vacation with your boys, man, and you're just having great conversation over some food and drinks. It's awesome, bro. I love it. I absolutely love it. That's great. <laughs> so now we're at the end of the interview, but I want to ask you some quick hitter questions for fun for people to get to know you better. But before we do that, I want to find out if there's anything additional that you want to say or anything you think I might have left out asking you. It's not for everybody. It really is. This isn't for everybody. If you can't stand inside of blood, this is not for you. If you don't have a passion to help people, this isn't for you. This isn't a profession where you're going to get rich. If you're looking to get rich, it's not going to happen. But this is a job where it is self-fulfilling. Yeah. And, and I promise you, if you work hard, the money will come. The money will come eventually for you if you work hard. But you just have to be hungry. You have to be hungry. You have to be persistent. And I wish I'd have done this when I was younger, man. I honestly do. It's a young man's sport. I'm 41 now, but I still love to compete. I still I still get that rush. It's, it's, it's all about a rush, man. Whenever we go into a house fire or when we do a good job on the call, man, it's, and everyone's like, hey, man, good job, good job. This one. And there's handshakes and there's high fives. Man, it's like hitting that game-winning three-pointer, bro. Yeah. It's rewarding, man. I love it. I absolutely love what I do. That's awesome. And that's great. And great words, too. Great advice and great word. All right. So let's, let's get to these quick hitter questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. The first question, what's your favorite sports team? Oh, Dallas Cowboys, man. It's all about that star. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, don't be disrespectful, man. Don't be disrespectful, man. I don't like how you did that. That was awesome. <laughs> You're right. All right. I'll try to hold that back. All right. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> favorite movie or show? Favorite movie? My favorite movie of all time, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. My favorite TV show of all time, Sons of Anarchy. Oh, yeah. Addictive. Yeah. Addictive, man. Oh. Yep. Favorite musical artist or group? Oh, that's easy. Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. I'm a 90s baby. <laughs> that's, that's what I grew up on. I remember we used to pass the Wu-Tang Clan around when I was in high school from person to person. Yep. I remember that. Favorite vacation spot? Cabos. Yeah. Cabos. Love it. Absolutely love it. Hear that a lot. Favorite food or drink? Favorite food is Mexican food. Yeah. Anything Mexican food, I, I love it. I love it. If I have a favorite drink, Cavassier on a rock, straight. Got it. Well, hey, Ken, this has been great. I really love your passion and your desire to help other people. I love your story. I love that you talked about that changing point you had and everything you've done to get to whatever goal you set in place. I love that. And I just love what you do. You're a hero for the community and appreciate all that you do. So thanks. Oh, uh, man, I, I don't I don't feel like a hero, man. I appreciate that. I really do. But, I, that, you know, there's one thing in the fire service that people will say, always say thank you for everything that you do. And it, a big part of me gets embarrassed when people tell me that sometimes. And I always say thank you back. I appreciate it. But I don't feel like a hero at all, man. I just feel like I'm just helping people, man. But I appreciate it, though. That's something yeah. that I deal with personally, but I appreciate it. No, I, and I definitely understand where you're coming from. But, yeah, you are a hero. <laughs> but, hey, is there any way that people can uh, – is there any way that people can reach out to you if they have any questions? Yeah, I have a IG page. It's a Mr. Outstanding. That's my ID on Instagram or by email, dockerejr at yahoo.com. D-O-C-K-E-R-Y-J-R at yahoo.com. All right. Well, thanks, Ken. 
Have a good one. Appreciate you, man. You too, homeboy. Take it easy, bro. All right. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.